0: thank you for downloading crises and kings with rabbi michael hatton an exploration of the book of samuel this series is in partnership with the corin podcast network and is lovingly sponsored by the newstein family in memory of rabbi dr joseph newstein for his fourth yard site be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening and now michael hatton welcome back everyone this is michael hatton in jerusalem and this is our pardes podcast on Sefer shimuel Last time we read about the beginning of Av Shalom's rebellion. Av Shalom made for himself a chariot and horsemen and fifty runners before him. Av Shalom positioned himself as a true and sincere champion of justice, indicating to the people of Israel that he was there to educate adjudicate their cases and to find merit for them. At the same time, Avshalom painted David and his court as being indifferent, apathetic, aloof, and unavailable. Whomever Avshalom met, he greeted warmly and extended himself as a true friend. And in so doing, the text reported, Avshalom stole the heart of the people of Israel. Later on, Avshalom, after having arranged all of the pieces of his rebellion, journeyed to Hebron under the pretext of offering sacrifice to God, and there he was proclaimed as king. As soon as the word reached Jerusalem, David made a strategic decision to flee the city with his court. And this he did, in all probability, in order to avoid a civil war. Of course, at the back of David's mind, or perhaps not at the back, was the echo of Natan's prophecy, namely that someone would rise to to, to contest David's rule, someone who would usurp the throne, although Natan did not use those words exactly, But surely, in David's mind, as these events unfolded, he began to connect the dots. So David left. The Ark, borne by Tzadok and Evyatar, went with him. They crossed the Valley of Kidron. The Ark stood still until the people made their way. It was a scene almost reminiscent of the crossing of the Jordan in the book of Joshua, chapter three and chapter four, except that of course, that image of crossing the Jordan was a optimistic and hopeful one. The people were entering the land in order to embrace their destiny. And in this version of the scene, the movement is in the opposite direction out of the promised land, as it were, out of the capital city, out of Jerusalem, that David had made his own, moving eastwards towards the desert, of, towards the Judean desert. So David made his way, and those that were loyal to him followed, among them Itai from Gat, who refused David's overtures, that he should not accompany him into exile. Wherever my master the the king goes, says Itai, whether for death or for life, your servant will be there with you. And of course, it was a moment like this that truly tested the loyalty of David's followers. Only those that were absolutely committed to his rule continued to support him, and followed him into exile. In the end, David ordered that the ark be returned to Jerusalem. As he put it, if I find favor in God's eyes, I will be restored to once again gaze upon God's habitation. And so Tzadok and Neviatar returned. On his way, David met Chushai Ha'arki, Hushai Ha'arki, some of the commentaries, assume was an older fellow who could not travel as quickly. David said to him, you will be more helpful to me if you remain behind in Jerusalem and present yourself to Avshalom as his trusted advisor. And in so doing, you will hopefully be able to undermine the counsel of Ahitophel. Who had been David's trusted advisor, but had turned coat and joined the rebels, becoming of Shalom's right hand man. And so, with that scene, Hushai returned to Jerusalem. David and his men proceeded eastwards, out of the city, through the steep valley of Kidron, up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, heading northeast towards the Jordan Valley towards the Judean desert, and ultimately, if necessary, to cross the Jordan River in order to find refuge. As David made his ascent up the Mount of Olives, reaching the peak of the range, he was met by none other than Siva, the servant boy of Mephiboshet, and we are now at the beginning of chapter 16. And Siva presented himself with all sorts of supplies, with bread and with raisins and with figs and with wine. And Siva said, I am here in order to support you. I am here in order to provide for you. David turned to him and said, where is your master Mephiboshet? And Tziva said, Mephiboshet remained behind because he said, verse number 3, This is the day I have been waiting for, Tziva reported Mephiboshet, saying. This is the day that the kingdom will be restored to me. My father Shaul's kingdom finally restored. David hears, he turns to Tziva and he says, the estate of Sha'ul that I had given to Mephibosheth is now given over to you. And Tziva bowed and expressed his gratitude. So in this first meeting, David has crossed the path of Tziva. We first met Tziva back in chapter 9. And if you recall, when we studied that particular chapter, Mephibosheth, the son of Yonatan, had been in hiding. David had ascertained his whereabouts by inquiring from Tziva, who had been Shaul's steward. And in effect, David at that time restored Mephiboshet, provided for him, gave the estate back, and made Tziva effectively Mephiboshet's steward, just as he had been Shaul's. In all probability, this is Tziva's moment To overturn that state of affairs. By now presenting himself as a loyal follower of David and casting Mephiboshet as a traitor, Tziva gets exactly what he was hoping for, which is the estate of Shaul returned to him and Mephiboshet now sidelined entirely. Whether in fact, Mephiboshet is telling the truth Is not entirely clear Sorry, whether, or, whether in fact Tziva is telling the truth Is not entirely clear Later events Will shed more light on this particular moment What is important For our purposes Is that insofar as David Is concerned The report of Mephiboshet Anticipating the return Of the kingdom to his hands To the house of Shaul That report struck David as entirely believable. Which is to say, with Avshalom now in full rebellion against his father, it is not surprising that other people begin to emerge from the woodwork. Those who had been David's rivals, those who had been David's enemies, those who had been unhappy with the kingdom that David created... And now naturally, as this instability unfolds, they present themselves possibly, hopefully, as alternatives to David's rule. David continues the journey. They come to a place called Bachurim, northeast of Jerusalem, and behold, a member of the house of Shaul, one of Shaul's kinsmen, Whose name was Shim'i ben Gera emerged from Bakurim, and he cursed David. He throws he threw stones in his direction, thrown stones at David, stones at David's servants. And this is what he said, verse number seven Tse Ish Hadamim, the al. Out you go, out you go, you man of blood, you coarse man, God has brought upon you. All of the blood of the house of Shaul, whom you usurped when you ruled in his stead. God has given the kingdom to Avshalom your son, and behold, you are an evil man, a man of blood. Avishai turned to David, Avishai, David's loyal fighter. I shall go over and remove this churl's head. And David said, absolutely not. Let him curse. God has told him to curse David. And who shall tell him to do otherwise? David said to Abishai and all of his servants, The son who has emerged from my loins desires my life. All the more so this Benjaminite, allow him to curse because that is God's will. Perhaps God will see my plight. And God will restore me goodness in the place of the curse on this day. So the second character that David meets, this Shimi Ben Kerah, associated with the tribe of Benjamin, associated with the house of Shaul, now that David is driven into exile, Shimei takes this as an opportunity to vent his anger and his frustration. And here we get a very clear image, sharply focused. It is true that David became king over the tribes of Israel. It is true that David united those tribes and chose Jerusalem as the capital of all the people. But at the same time, that does not mean that there was not lingering ill will associated with David becoming king. Remember the events Avner had been killed by Yoav, David's general. Ishboshet, Shaul's son, had been assassinated. Although David made it very clear that both of those events were not a function of his orders, there is no doubt that lingering suspicions remained, especially from the tribe of Benjamin, especially from the house of Shaul, Who's to say, says Shimi ben Geira, that David wasn't responsible for the, killing of, for the killing of Avner, for the assassination of Ishboshet? This man is a man of blood, said Shimi ben Gera, and thank God he's finally out of the way. So, in spite of the incredible provocation that Shimi casts in David's direction, even as he throws stones and heaps, dust into the air in David's direction, not quite close enough to hit him, but close enough to be heard, David does not respond. And all of this is indicative of his state of mind. As these events unfold, David takes them to be an expression of God's will. Shimi is making his own choice, but God has his bigger plan. And that bigger plan, certainly as David now understands, involves that David must be punished for the crime of Bathsheba. And this is that punishment now coming to fruition. Let him curse, says David. Let him humiliate me. That in turn will be part of my rehabilitation, should it be God's will. So Shimei continued to curse on this side of the hill and David and his men continued on their way on the other side of the hill and Shimei's curses rang in David's ears and David did not respond. And perhaps when David heard the words, you are a killer, a man of blood, he wasn't just hearing Shimei speaking about the house of Shaul, but perhaps Shimei also speaking about the crime that David had committed with the killing of Uriah. Although Shimei never stated that and perhaps never intended it, that was perhaps the intended message to David at that moment. And so David continued on his way. And in the meantime, Avshalom Shalom. Entered Jerusalem with Achitophel at his side. Immediately, Hushai presented himself to Avshalom. Long live the king, long live the king. Avshalom said to Hushai, Is this the compassion that you extend to your fellow David? Why didn't you accompany your friend David? And Hushai said, No. The one whom God chose and this people chose, all the people of Israel chose, I will serve him instead, and with him I will dwell. Besides, says Hushai, are you not David's son? As I served your father, I will serve you as well. In this moment, Hushai indicates the brilliance of his words. David had appointed Hushai to effectively be a double agent, to present himself to Avshalom as his advisor, as his counselor, as his friend. But at the same time, to use the trust created with Shalom to ultimately undermine him and undermine Achitofel. And Hushain now indicates his brilliance. He says to Avshalom, I will serve the one whom God chose. I will serve the son of the king. If Avshalom had any doubts in his mind about the legitimacy of his rebellion, Hushai now erases them. This is the will of God, what you have done, Avshalom, to rebel against your father, to become king in his place. You are fulfilling God's word. And you are, after all, the king's son, his rightful successor. As soon as Avshalom hears that, a trust is now created between him and Hushai, which will be absolutely fateful for later events in the story. What shall we do next, said Avshalom Tachitofel? And Achitofel advised the following obscenity. He said to Avshalom, Sleep with the concubines of your father whom he he left behind. And when all of the people of Israel hear that you have disgraced your father, all those that are with you will support you even more. And sure enough, Avshalom does exactly that. A tent is set up on the roof of the palace. Avshalom enters it and sleeps with the concubines of his father David. Now, of course, we already discussed early in the second book of Samuel how sleeping with someone's concubine was effectively a statement that you had usurped their authority. Remember how Avner had slept with the concubine of Shaul, Vitzpa Bat Ayah. And Ishboshet, the puppet king, said, Why did you do that? How could you dare? And Avner said, Who do you think you are? Effectively, what Avner was saying is, You might be the puppet king, Ishboshet, but I'm actually the one who pulls the strings and I will decide policy around here. So sleeping with the concubine of the king is tantamount to seizing the authority of the king. That's precisely what Avshalom does in this moment. More than that, as Achitofel says, lest there be any doubt in the mind of your supporters that you will go with this rebellion until the bitter end, this will be the ultimate indication that there is no turning back. If you sleep with your father's concubines, that is an act of humiliation and disgrace towards your father, which cannot be taken back. And all those that support you will support you even more. Ominously, The text at the end of chapter 16 indicates that Achitofel's counsel in those days was like the very word of God. Whatever Achitofel suggested was always borne out. And so it seems, as we end this chapter, Avshalom is in firm control. It seems that it's absolutely clear that there will be no turning back. There will be no reconciliation with David and Achitofel at at of Shalom's side. Both of them together will see this rebellion through to its bitter end, whatever that may entail. As for Hushai, we don't know if he was asked his opinion, but certainly he appears to remain silent in this moment. Allowing Achitophel's advice to pass unchallenged. Another possible strategy to build the trust of Avshalom towards him. Let the outrage happen. Let, David, let David's concubines be violated by Avshalom. Chushai doesn't respond. Hushai doesn't attempt to counter Achitofel's counsel now because Hushai realizes the moment will come when he will need to face down Achitofel and in order to be taken seriously by Avshalom, he must now present himself as being absolutely in concert with everything that Achitofel advises. Next time we will follow the action as we build towards a climactic end to this rebellion and we will see how things unfold in chapter 17. Thank you again for listening to Crises and Kings with Rabbi Michael Happy, a production of Pardis Institute of Jewish Studies in partnership with the Korn Podcast Network. If you like what you just heard, please give a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening.